Okay, so we're at a wonderful place here in, in the book of Hebrews. I think we're going to be here about three more weeks uh, in counting tonight. So we're at, at chapter 12, and I'm gonna, I've got a couple other places, and I don't have that ready to go yet, and I apologize, but we're making progress from the tech standpoint. I could be fancy with it maybe next week. There's a couple other areas that I want to use as some supporting scripture tonight. The first one that I want us to read is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So I've got a million things marked here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is, uh, Paul talks about speaking of wisdom to the mature. And, and, he's, and he says that none of the age's leaders knew, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, what was going on. And, and uh, this is another place where he's, Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so, um, verse 9 of chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians reads like this from David Bentley Hart. Rather it has been written, things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and that have not risen up upon the heart of a human being, whatsoever God has prepared for those who love him. For God has given us revelation by the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who knows the things of men except man's spirit? which is within him. So also no one has known the things of God except the Spirit of God. And we received not the Spirit of the cosmos, but rather the Spirit that is from God, so that we might know the things graciously given us by God, which things we also speak, not with words taught by human wisdom, but rather of those taught by the Spirit, combining, um, combining things spiritual with things spiritual. But psychical man does not receive the things of God's Spirit, for to him is folly, and he is unable to know them, since they are discerned spiritually. The spiritual man, moreover, discerns all things, yet is discerned by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord, and who will give him instruction? And then he finishes with this verse, uh, and he says it a little different, he uses anointed, but, and we have the mind of the anointed. And it's, it's one that most of us probably uh, remember as saying, and we have the mind of Christ. So what he's talking about there is there is a there is a reality that already exists and has been given to us. And that reality exceeds what we can know or imagine. And the way that we get in touch with that reality, the way we understand it, is by the Spirit. And it's necessary then that the spiritual man discern things spiritually in us and that the natural man can't understand those things. Okay. Uh, then it says, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, I know that, that I've uh, many times, well, I'll put it another way. I think things mean something, and I don't always know what they mean. But lately, the last few years, I've, I've been blessed personally, and I've, I've made some progress in assuming that they mean more than my first impression because they're from an infinite God. And my first impression, as illustrated by this, is, is, a, is a finite imagination. And so whatever it is that God has got for us, Paul's saying, it's beyond what you can ask or imagine. And it's never entered into your heart. But God's given us revelation of it by the Spirit. So that doesn't mean we can't access it. It means we can't access it as the normal course of the natural 
reasoning or learning. And so it does mean that you're not just going to be able to take the Bible and dig into the Greek and say, okay, so this is the range of meanings and this is this. And I've been guilty of, of thinking, you know, depending a lot on that. And I'm not against it now. I still want to keep doing it. But to the degree that we can figure out what we are called into or what we have already been placed into, to that degree, we have a tendency or a temptation to, to, to create that as a goal or as a, an end, and we will be selling ourself and the gift of God to us short because it's more than we can ask or imagine. Just like if we trust God and if we, if we soak up what the Apostle Paul says, for instance, in Philippians, we're going to have a peace which goes beyond understanding. That means that somebody is going to ask you someday, why, Ronnie, are you at such peace? And you're going to go, well, there's a few reasons, but there's a bunch more. I don't know. I don't understand. Because it's a gift. It's a gift of presence. It's a gift of, of impartation, of person. And, 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 and we, all, we all live in a society where everything is, is uh, based on analyzing something and, 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 and then creating conclusions from the evidence. Like, for instance, the governor of Delaware probably saw some scientific animation of people talking and a certain amount of COVID coming out and then people singing and a lot more COVID coming out. And from that illustration that was clearly not biased by anyone or anything. Uh, and then, of course, there's the illustration of the protesters screaming. And somehow that creates a vacuum that COVID can't live in. I don't understand it. But, but you know, that's, that's the way we draw our conclusions. And what this says is you shouldn't do that. You should let the Spirit, you should touch, get in touch with the Spirit. And so that's why it's so critical that we, we realize that we are engaged in a spiritual kingdom. Okay? So that's one. And it means there's more out there. And then the next scripture I want to look at is in 2 Corinthians. And it is right over here. And this is just a very short... Uh, verse, verse 18, but it has a, a, it carries a message that I think all of us, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 18. Paul's talking about how the, 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 the weight of the uh, tribulations and stuff don't compare with the glory that's going to be revealed. It's like what he was reflecting on in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. But chapter 4, 18 says, not looking to the things seen, but instead to things not seen. For the things seen are but are for but a season, but the things not seen are of the age. And again, most translations would say the things uh, seen are transitory or temporary, and the things not seen are eternal. I like, I like reading from Hart because he's real accurate on the Greek, and it phrases differently so we think about it. In other words... The stuff that we see with our eyes is, is really only for a season. But the unseen things are plugged in to the age that leads, that, that is eternity in there. Now, now I want to go back and in that context of those two supporting scriptures, I want to talk to you a little bit out of Hebrews. Um, and chapter 12 is the, is the chapter that begins with 
Therefore, we also, having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, having with such ease put off every encumbrance and the sin besetting us, let us run the contest set before us, looking ahead to Jesus, the leader and finisher of our faithfulness, who, preferring the joy that lay before him, endured the cross, disdaining its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So ponder him who endured so much hostility against himself from sinners, so that you would not grow weary, fainting in your souls. And then at the end of chapter um, 12, it says, and it makes this comparison in story of the encounter that Moses and the children of Israel had at the base of Mount Sinai and then up Mount Sinai as Moses went. And it was an unfortunate encounter in that it provoked the children of Israel to put distance between them and God. And it created a, an intermediary system. And if you remember, when we were looking at the faith chapter, either last week or the week before, uh, well, maybe that's on Tuesday. I'll read it to you, because I think it was on Tuesday, and some of you might not have heard it. So in the faith chapter, in chapter 11, let's see where this is at here. I, I, had, I was using a different Bible there. Um, this is about, I think, no, Sarah. Um, is it 32? Uh, faith, Moses, Moses, Egypt, and faith, he left Egypt. 32, 32, is that right? No. no. Oh, here it is, here it is, here it is. Okay, so this is in verse 29 of chapter 11. In faith, he's just talked about Moses and the children of Israel. In faith, they passed through the Red Sea as through on dry land, and having attempted which the Egypt's, Egyptians were swallowed up. And then the next verse says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell, having been encircled for seven days. So that was super confusing. Let me read it again. Uh, back in 28, it says, in, uh, Moses, in faith, he performed the Passover and sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn should not touch them. In faith, they, the children of Israel, passed through the Red Sea as through dry land, and having attempted, in having attempted which, the Egyptians were swallowed up. And then verse 30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell, having been encircled for seven days. And verse 31 says, In faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who had disobeyed, having welcomed the spies with peace. And what more can I say? And it goes into the others. The thing I pointed out, I think it was at the Tuesday study, is that between when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea and the Egyptians were swallowed up, and when Joshua led them to march around, the city of Jericho and the walls to fall. There was nothing in that 40-year sojourn, unfortunately, that made it into the list of faith. <laughs> I know. I know. And there was a lot of stuff that happened there. Significant stuff and a lot of stuff that we put a lot of weight in. And I'm not saying that it's not uh, worth being weighty uh, uh, historically, and I'm not saying that it's not worth studying. But when the Holy Spirit inspired this chapter, all of that period of time that was uh, approached in fear and then all that, it didn't make it into the list. So to me, one of the things that points out and I want us to see is that's how important it is to have faith. Now, what was it that the children of Israel didn't have between when they got on the other side of the Red Sea and before they crossed over the Jordan? And that, that enormous time. Well, that is, they didn't have faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of unseen realities. It says, for the ancients were commended for this. And 
Then it goes into that long list, and there's that big gap. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of unseen realities. So the point that I want to make out of 12 today, before we move, move forward in this and, and wrap it up in the next two weeks, the point I want to make is that Hebrews chapter 12, in the, in the contest that is set before us, the race that we're running, it is into a world that we cannot apprehend only with natural reference points and our natural senses. It must be gained by faith. And faith is not uh, a competitive Christian badge of betterness or something. Faith is the substance of the thing you're hoping for. And it's the evidence of the thing, the unseen reality that is of the age or is eternal. Now, the temptation every single day and in every single thing that comes up against us or into our lives is to try to find an immediate solution that makes it make sense. But that isn't how we're supposed to run the race that's set before us. The thing, and there really is only one, one thing, it's not complicated. The thing that makes the race set before us make sense is looking at Jesus. Because he reveals two things that you cannot know apart from him. One of them is the Father. Jesus said plainly, uh, or the scripture says in, in the beginning of John, no man has seen God at any time. Now that's rough when you go back and you look at all the different encounters and here and there and everything. But John says it, and it's a, it's a very strong declarative statement. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, he has revealed him, exegeted him, explained him. And there's other places in the scripture, uh, Jesus said that. He, he said, uh, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I emphasize that a lot when I talk about it. So we know how God thinks about, how the Father thinks about adulterous women, even though he hates adultery. He loves adulterous women. <laughs> he has mercy on adulterous women. I'm not trying to pick on women, be the same with guys. He has, he has mercy on that because Jesus demonstrated that. When we're watching Jesus uh, deal with that, when the Pharisees were watching Jesus deal with her, when the disciples were watching Jesus deal with, with her, um, we saw how the Father feels about people. Same goes with leprosy. Uh, you know, there was leprosy is, was a mark. It was an uncleanness. It had a lot of social and religious issues with it. But we know how God feels about lepers. Because at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was confronted by a leper and he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus didn't just make him clean. He walked over and he touched him. Which, of course, was a no-no. Without a mask? Without a mask. <laughs> or gloves, I don't think. There's no gloves mentioned in the story. I, I, I don't want to read beyond the scripture. So... One of the things that you cannot know, one of, the, one of the unseen realities. Now, just because no man has seen God at any time, declares John, doesn't mean God's not real. But that's what a lot of people think. Remember when the uh, first Russian astronaut was orbiting the Earth? I, you guys, are, are we, some of us are old enough to remember that. Yuri, Yuri yeah, Yuri. Some, do you remember that he said, 
I've been up there, or something to this effect, and it might be a little bit um, mythological now, but he said something to the effect, I've been in the heavens and there is no God. I looked around and couldn't see him. So there are people, because they don't see into this eternal unseen realm, don't think it exists. That's because they're not looking with faith. They're not looking with the Spirit. Sure. So I'm getting a different understanding I've never had before. The idea of faith is kind of like an add-on. Now, don't, let's hear it out for a second. I'm just supporting you. Oh, okay, good. So um, I might have revelation or I might have an understanding to a certain level, and then one more level above that that adds additional to it, the perception or the perspective of Jesus is that level of faith. So it's almost like a man understanding, and then above that, it's a God understanding with us. Mm -hmm. And that made a, more sense to me tonight than it ever has before. So Praise faith God. is different than just something that you got to go after. It's kind of like something that's an add-on to what you already have, but gives you a deeper level. And that's how you can have evidence of something you don't know. But it's you got it. So yeah. I don't know if that helps. No, I think that's really good. I think it's good. Does that does that make a little sense to anybody? I mean, in other words, if the, if the Scripture says that, that uh, eye has not seen and ear has not heard and neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him, then we're going to have to access it somehow. And that's, I think, what you're talking about. And, and the things you know, you don't have to exercise faith in. The things you, you know, when it becomes knowledge, you don't need to use faith in that. Now, maybe some things you know are take the form of like a promise, and that's where faith comes in, because Abraham said, or it was said of Abraham that he looked at himself, realizing his body was dead, but God had made a promise that he was going to be the father of many nations, and, or, and, and through him bless every family on earth. So he believed that God was able to keep his promise, even though what he saw didn't look like it. So that's, you know, faith and, and, and sight do kind of go together sometimes the but faith is that step beyond it's the one one thing going going beyond and um, so your question was good but it got me off track let me think where i'm at oh okay so the problem that the children of israel faced was a faith problem in that that time while they were wandering in the wilderness when they they didn't believe and they didn't see and they didn't believe God for that promise. And so that's not to pick on them. It's just to say, here we are. And, and so this is the essence of what I th is on my heart tonight. As we go to, go to chapter 12, we encounter three things. We encounter this idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus and running the faith and the race that he ran. Secondly, we are introduced to the concept of discipline from the Father and that he is treating us like sons when he disciplines us or when he chastens us or when he lashes us, as David Bentley Hart says. And I know that for, for some of us who are super conscious, super aware of the goodness of the Father and how we've maligned him with some of our beliefs and translations and stuff, the, the idea of discipline is, is a little rough to wrap your, your head around, your heart around. Uh, but then it goes on. And it says that we are not, and this links back to that Hebrews 11 thing, we're not coming to a mountain that just smokes with fire and where the voice of the Lord sounds like thunder and where the people were terrified because it says even if an animal should come up here, it has to be put to death. 
So at the, at the latter middle part of chapter 12, it says, this isn't where we've come. And this, then it says, this is where we've come. Let me find it here. So the, the, the place where we're not is we're not coming to something tangible and set ablaze with fire, to a deep gloom, and to storm, and to a trumpet's echo, and to a voice uttering words, whose hearers begged that no further words be imposed upon them. For they could not bear what was commanded. Should even a beast touch the mountain, it must be stoned. And what appeared was so dreadful that Moses even said, I am terrified and trembling. But rather, this is what we have come to. Okay. Now, when I read this, I want you to go back and think about that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where it says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, because the unseen things are the eternal things. The unseen things are a part of the eternal age. And so here is an example of one of those, or some of that, unseen stuff. Rather, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to a full gathering and an assembly of the firstborn, enrolled in the heavens, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous, of the righteous who have been perfected, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to a blood for sprinkling that bespeaks something better than that of Abel. So I started thinking about the new covenant being the contemporary government of God. The new covenant crafted with this blood. And I reflected back on that passage in Isaiah that says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. I don't hear that taught in relationship to the new covenant very much. But I am 100% certain, and I declare to you on pain of being wrong, <laughs> that that government is this government that is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 8, prophesied by Jeremiah chapter 31. But here's, here's the essence of the thing. The essence of the thing is that, that um, this covenant that we're in is the way God has has. Uh, focused for the entire ages, and everything leading up to this pointed to it. Jesus came in here, and he, uh, by virtue of who he was, his incarnation, he was able to shed his blood and establish the covenant that is uh, a source. It's the only... This actually I didn't say to uh, everybody earlier. This covenant is the only government that has ever been from heaven to earth big enough and intimate enough and personal enough to fully manage the transformation of us from immaturity to maturity. It's the only one. Because it's the only covenant that was able to be established that did not, in any way, shape, or form, inherit the weakness of sinful flesh. Because Jesus was the second signator, and He embraced humanity in that role. It didn't mean there wasn't progress. It didn't mean there wasn't revelation. It didn't mean there wasn't goodness that happened in those previous covenants. But the fulfillment 
uh, the overcoming of what, what Paul teaches that what God, uh, um, what God could not do through because of the weakness of sinful flesh, he did by the sending of his son. Jesus came and he established the human half of the government. Yeah, yeah, through the law because of the weaknesses. I'm sorry, could not do, well, he couldn't do it either at the time, he, but he couldn't do it through the law. Uh, through the weakness of sinful flesh because of the temporary nature of it, he was able to do by the sending of his son because Jesus' sacrifice is not temporary. His presence, he is alive right now, but it's not just that he's alive right now. He's alive as us, as one of us, as us. So as weird as it sounds, and I don't even have the words to try to describe it, but Right now, and for the last couple thousand years, however time is measured in the realm of the Godhead, there is a human that is a part of our God. He is, humanity is a discernible, decipherable, permanent part of the triune God. And that changed everything from temporary to permanent. And eventually it will change everything from the scene that is temporary to the permanent that's not. And so then the illustration guys that I, I uh, had to get into as the guys were scrambling and working to get the internet back and thank God it's back and I love you and I'm glad you were patient and hung on there and I hope you had some amazing revelations while I wasn't, you weren't hearing me. But the uh, illustration we used is why, if God has total mercy on our transgressions, like it says in, in Hebrews 8, 10, 11, uh, 12, why, uh, if God has total mercy on our transgressions and forgives them and doesn't remember our sin anymore, is there discipline? Because in 8, it says that and declares it perfectly, and in 12, it introduces us to the discipline. And the answer is because who we are in Christ is fully established. How we're walking that out from immaturity to maturity, from unawareness to revelation, that is a process. And the discipline then um, is a part of that process, just like revelation is and other stuff. So then Dave made a point that discipline is primarily a form of education, and it's often thought of as a form of punishment. It's not just discipline that's thought of wrongly that way. Judgment is thought of that. We're coming to this place, this wonderful mountain. This all, We're coming to God, the judge of all. Well, that sends shivers down people's backs if they don't understand what judgment is. But unless our lives can be viewed by one who sees things fully in the light and as they are, they will never be able to be set in order. That's what judgment is. It's not condemnation. It's not. And we got a lot to study about that. We got a lot to think about about that. But what I'm telling you is that the primary role of judgment is to set things right. That's what Christ is about. This is what's true in relationship to this. A form of judgment that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is that every man's works are going to be tested by fire. And some of them are going to burn up and you'll suffer loss. But others will be shown to be of God. And you will be saved as through fire. That's judgment. To set things right. 
Because the truth of the matter is, you don't want to go into eternity carrying around a wheelbarrow full of stuff that doesn't belong there. <laughs> and without judgment, you might. I think it's also an important point that our works will be judged, not who we are. Yeah. So the acceptance of who we are is still there. Sure. And those behaviors or those works may be burned up. Yeah, I think that's, that's really true. And there is that distinction in that thing of Paul. But it's not always talked about that way. It's not always there. But that's what, that's what it says here. So then the last thing, guys, that we talked about while you were gone that I want to catch up on is if you can envision uh, a really good family, a real good family that has a real good dad and has a real good... And I know not all of us have come from that, and I know it's sometimes hard. But if you have a dad who's, who's present and who's... Uh, committed to his children and to see them grow, who loves his wife dearly. Remember how many times you've heard about marriage counseling? One of the primary things that people talk about when they talk about uh, marriage counseling and stuff is that you husbands need to love their wives, wives need to love their husbands more, more than their kids. Now, I know that's kind of weird sounding, but the more a husband loves a wife and wife loves a husband in pure, purity and reality, the better it is for the kids. Well, we have a family that we have been drawn into, where we are the children, the sons, you know, children transgress or transforming into sons, that's the best possible. Because nobody loves anybody more than the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love one another. So that family is, is the ideal image of, of what we're brought into in the New Covenant. And this is the beauty. So we are we are in that covenant and the reality of our acceptance in that covenant this is the point I made while you guys are offline the nature of that family and the nature of this covenant is that you and I are as fully accepted as we will ever possibly be we are as fully loved as we will ever possibly be but we are not as fully mature as we will ever possibly be because we grow by virtue of revelation experience, discipline, and so on. And uh, so, anyway, that's what we're talking about. That's where we're at in the middle of Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going we're gonna to go on and we're going to see why God is the only one that can be big enough and love deep enough and illuminate bright enough and work with us in the realm of the Spirit so that we will be transformed into the fullness and measure in the glorious statue of Jesus. So the new covenant is, it's more than just trading one government for another. It is the focus, the culmination of the ages. And that's what the scripture says. At the culmination of the ages, Jesus poured out his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats. And we're in it. Now, so that we got most of you back, or a bunch of you anyway. Uh, the conclusion I want you to think about this week is that you and I, unfortunately, are willing to settle for much less than what we have and much less than what maturity will reveal. Because most of us have grown up in an arena where the acceptance and the forgiveness is not an assurance. Most of us have grown up in a Christianity where how God receives us and thinks about us does have conditionality. And what this is a testament of is that it's not true. You 
are fully accepted. And so, guys, if you uh, hung in there with me and you've got your communion elements, we're going to take communion in just a second. And you saw me turn around and look because I'm standing under the TVs where your faces are. So when we take communion tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to take it with the realization in our mind that what Jesus did with this and the representation of those crackers on the table forever, forever settled how God sees your value, how he sees your worth. And therefore, all of the things which in other systems and in other ways tried to vie for a voice about what you were worth, they can't do it in this way. But we're still tempted to think that. You are a child in, a, in the various stage of transformation. You are. And your sin, your failure, your lack of maturity in a given area and the various reactions that flow from that, they're going to be met by mercy, discipline, revelation, but they're never going to be met by rejection. They are never going to be met by uh, some diminishing of your identity or of your value. It's just not going to happen. And it's not going to happen not because of some clause in the contract. It's not going to happen because Jesus did this once forever. And the Father would no more dishonor the power of his sacrifice than he would blink creation out of existence. It would be impossible. Now, our job in faith is to believe it. And the thing that stands against that faith is evidence that places us somewhere on this maturity continuum. But that's all it does. It might invoke discipline. It might invoke revelation. It might invoke celebration. Last week, when we had our service here, uh, Jen heard the Lord say, and I think a lot of us felt and experienced, I know I did, I'm really pleased with you guys. That is the settled state of God. I was talking to him, uh, I think it was before that actually, just the day before it. And I got talking to him about obedience. I, I, I talked to him about the opportunities and the obedience. And I said, but Lord, my obedience is so imperfect. And he looked at, or he looked at me, <laughs> he was looking at me. And he said this, he says to me, when I see imperfect obedience, I see obedience. Because he says, I've never looked at any of you and seen perfect obedience. And, and even without the second phrase, which was pretty helpful, the first phrase was, well, what else would you see when you saw imperfect obedience? You have a child, he's like 18 months older. I don't even know how old kids are. Maybe not quite that, maybe a little younger than that. And this, this child's starting to learn to walk. Well, part of learning to walk is falling down, right? You're like, oh my God, you've fallen down. Oh my God, you've fallen down three times. No, no, that's not a conversation you have in this good family. When, when, when the dad and the mom understand 
This child is going to be walking into their destiny. They're going to be chasing after God. They're going to be moving this way. And so there's nothing that way. What they do, if you're good, mom and dad, is you clear the way, right? You don't have a bunch of spiky things on the floor and a couple of table saws laying around. You know, you make it so they can walk and fall. And then you, you, you go, man, look at that. Especially when they finally get there and they're going down and they grab your leg or they grab the, the cushion on the sofa or something. That's obedience. That's progress. That's transformation. That's what we're engaged in. And sometimes it seems confusing because it requires discipline. Uh, N.T. Wright has a part in there about discipline where it says, don't be surprised if God takes issue with you. He's not taking issue with your destiny. He's not taking issue with your value. He's taking issue with the thing that you're still engaging in that's going to keep you from who he knows you to be. And, and, and so this is the foundation of the new covenant. Jesus held out the cup. I think he held out the cup and he said, this is the new covenant of my blood. So what our task is, is just to believe that and to receive it in such a way that it plugs into us the evidence and the substance that I am the Son of God. And I'll tell you what, um, the guys that are out there, guys and gals that are out there rioting and screaming and feeling victimized and all this kind of stuff, the cure for that is going to be their realization of who they are in this. And there's not another government there's not another government. There's not another way. So let's uh, not give in to the temptation to, to look around. It's earthy. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the connection. So like, but, but think about this. The bread that we eat, you know, it's stone ground stuff or crackers, I don't know, whatever there. Uh, if there's a little salt on it, I don't know if you're supposed to take salt by now. But uh, that salt is actually a rock, right? Ground up. This is the beauty of our faith. I say this, and now I'm starting to understand more about the meaning of it. The redemptive plan of God is built with us in mind. Not the perfect us, not the religious us, the earthy us. The five-year-old, seven-year-old, nine-year-old, 13-year-old, 20-year-old, 65-year-old. The person that's in progress being transformed, not the fully transformed person. This is not a symbol of our union with God from our perfection. This is a symbol of our union with God in the rough and tumble of our life. But it is a union. It is a union, and it is complete. The progress that we experience or lack of experience is in our transformation. It is not in our stature, not in our condition. Okay? All right. Um, there's some cr crackers in front of you, and there's some gluten-free crackers on top. I'm going to take one. Uh, Lord, I love, I love it that you can reach in to a liquor store or a Walmart or a convenience store, or you can embrace the loving work of a baker or some 
mom or dad who is, 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 is crafting the beauty of this, or we might have stopped at Sonic on the way here and realized communion was coming because of that little note and not eaten the end of our hot dog. And you're willing and able to manifest the reality of the government of God that is culminated by the blood and body of Jesus at the times of the last day and bless it as fully as if, as if we had kosher bug juice and some other religious kind of bread. Lord, I thank you for it. I thank you that it is in our real lives that you are working out our transformation with your very presence. And I bless you for your broken body and your blood. Let us be transformed in Jesus' name. I want everybody to walk away from this night absolutely assured that there is no question in heaven, in the heart or mind of God, about who you are and who you belong to and the family that you belong in. And if you happen to be at a place where you're learning something that you're not fully functional in, like walking, fall away. Yeah. Because you're not going to fall away. You're not going anywhere. You're just being changed. And you are in the surround of a family. It's extraordinary. And if you want to think of the Holy Spirit as a mom, you have my permission. <laughs> Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we rely upon you. We lean on you. We run to you. And we thank you that we belong. We thank you that we are your sons. We thank you that as children, as sons and daughters, we are being transformed into the image of our amazing brother and king, Jesus. Let us walk with that assurance no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.